Happy New Year, and welcome to Someone Else's Movie, the original podcast where an actor, writer, director, or nebulous industry figure gives a little love to a movie they didn't make. I'm Norm Wilner, senior film writer for Now Magazine, and this is The Other Thing I Do. My guests this week are Vladimir John Kubert and Nicole Maroon, two Toronto actors who are also a couple, which is nice. You may have seen Vlad as Garrett Jacob Hobbs in Hannibal. He's also popped up in the features Stockholm, Kodachrome, and Prisoner X, and on television in Designated Survivor, Rookie Blue, and Warehouse 13, among others. Nicole has appeared in Unhappy Happy, Meet the Family, and Amazon's The Boys, and they star opposite one another as a disintegrating couple in the feature film Luba, which Vlad also wrote, and which opens this Friday, January 10th, at the Carlton Cinemas in Toronto and the Globe Cinema in Calgary. Perhaps in contrast to the intensity of that project, Vlad and Nicole picked A Fish Called Wanda, the 1988 caper comedy where John Cleese, Jamie Lee Curtis, Kevin Kline, and Michael Palin chase each other around London over a fortune in stolen jewels. There's a more complex plot, but that's basically the gist of it. There's a heist, a double-cross, another double-crossed, and maybe 15 minutes in, it's every idiot for themselves, as they all race to cover their tracks, retrieve the loot, and get away clean. Cleese conceived of the story and made the film with Charles Crichton, director of The Lavender Hill Mob, The Titfield Thunderbolt, and The Battle of the Sexes, which may explain why the slightly older former Python gets to romance Jamie Lee Curtis and name his character after Cary Grant, sort of. It's a reach, but it works. The whole thing works, if I'm being honest, even when it dips into some rather uncomfortable comedic territory. But we'll get to that. This is someone else's movie. Well, we're going to be doing this podcast together. Right. And... Vlad and I have very different taste in movies. I'm <laughs> like completely different. Like, couldn't couldn't be more different. So there's there's very few films that we overlap that we both like, and A Fish Called Wanda was one of them. Uh-huh. Yeah, so it was an easy choice that we could both enthusiastically talk about. Yeah, without one of us poo pooing it. <laughs> yeah, when we when we first started dating, it was one of the first films that we watched together, and you had seen it. Yeah, my dad introduced me to it. But we're reminded, I think, yeah. of of a former love for the film that I, I think she hadn't completely remembered. Yeah. So when we saw it again when we first started dating, it kind of became one of our films. Oh. Yeah, that's um, nice. And my relationship with the film goes back to uh, 89 when it was a big video hit. And my family, over the Christmas holidays, we rented it. And so, and it's funny because I was thinking it's it really is... I think a family film. At least it's Go it's a family film for my family, <laughs> and and you watched it with your father. Yeah, it was my dad who was like, "Now this is a movie." Yeah, <laughs> you know? and, it's, and so I don't know. Both our experience tells us it's a family film, um, and it's such a funny family film. Like it's full of sex and terrible human behavior, yeah. and nobody's nice to anybody else, and <laughs> except the two, like. Well, two of the criminals are the friends, George and Ken, are the right. only people that treat each other nicely at all. That's yeah. true. That is a soothing, empowering relationship. Yeah, <laughs> and violence and, and like, fully Looney Tune-level destruction, <laughs> old ladies getting... A, you know what? Looney Tunes, that's a really good... You pointed at it, pointed it out. You said the, the you know, the... Where oh. she. Where he shoots the thing that right. falls on the dog. Crushing the dogs. <laughs> the dog, what, what it was, it's like a construction cement block, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, and so. Wiley Coyote. Wiley Coyote, yeah, yeah. yeah, trying to kill. But the Looney Tunes, I'm saying that's why you say what a funny film for us to associate as being a family film. But, I mean, Looney Tunes has all of those things, and that's family programming, right? Looney that's Tunes is, is the cartoon that the parents could watch with the kids and laugh as well. Like Sesame Street tried right. to do that. A yeah, bit, yeah, it's, you it's know? accessible, but it's also smart and complex. And they would, yeah, and and have little Easter eggs and stuff for the adult that's in the room with the child watching. And the it's funny because so. I read a, a, a retrospective on the film that referred to Otto, Kevin Klein's character, as yeah. being Daffy Duck incarnate. Well, and now I'm thinking, is is uh, Jamie Lee Curtis Bugs Bunny? If you know how Bugs is. Bunny dresses, always dresses in <laughs> oh, yeah. seductive, in seductive yeah. wear, and he's always seducing <laughs> everybody. <laughs> It's true. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And Bugs is always in on his own joke, too. Yeah. Yes. Which Jamie Lee Curtis definitely is. The entire film. She's, yeah. yeah the, She's the, the only one that knows what's going on. She could show up in her room chomping on a carrot. What's up, Oh, God? yeah. For yeah. Sure. I would believe that. Yeah. I absolutely would. So, wait a minute. I want to expand this. Where else do we go? Um, Ken, Ken obviously, would Ken have is to Porky be Pig. Because of the Porky stutter, Pig. Yeah. Which is now like <laughs> highly questionable and ableist, but also like. As as watching that character piece, 
I understand why people are offended by it. I understand why people with stammers were upset at the time. They were? Yeah. There was really? Push, there was some pushback. <laughs> I, I didn't know that. But the, but the idea, like... That feels like such a now thing for that to Well, it's, it was there then. There really? was some protest, yeah. Just a little at the time, because it was all... Are you talking about press. during the theatrical release? Yeah, in 88. There, yeah. Were, there was huh. at least one foundation that stood up and said, you know, come on, guys, this is just mean. But he gets his, he loses his stammer at the end of the film. Yeah, which is also <laughs> probably part of the problem. And it wasn't right? anti-stammer. No, he's, he's a the competent, film, well, the he's, film I was, was going to say he's a competent sympathetic character. sympathetic towards but, him. And, well, but he's openly mocked and, you know, by yeah. an idiot. I think that's the thing, right? The film creates the frame where we are always on Ken's side. To the point where we want him to kill yeah, the woman so you because think that, it you hurts think... to watch him kill the dogs. <laughs> but the depiction of stuttering and stammering was apparently unrealistic, which, I mean, again, everything in the film is unrealistic. Yeah, right. But I, I can kind of see where they're coming from. I mean, if you go into that film with a stammer yourself, you're going to feel mocked <laughs> at the very least. Sure. But I suppose if you're an idiot, you go in and you see Otto and you're going to, well, no, if you're an idiot, you won't see it. But it's like that is a pretty... <clears throat> well, one of one, one of the great portrait of an idiot. One of the great things about the film is how apolitical it is. Like uh, again, doing research for this, mm. I was reading about how somebody talked about how the gay humor in the film. This this person who was doing this retrospective was contemplating how he never felt upset at that time, okay. nor presently about. What maybe on paper, I can't remember exactly what he said, but like there, there is some something in there where you could be upset about it, but he never found a reason to be upset despite that there does seem to be. Do you be- mean when Kevin Klein's character pretends to be gay to come on to Otto? Yeah, and, and they actually, uh, there's like a gay slur that's used at some point. Oh. Right, all Englishmen are, if something like that, if I remember correctly, something about the effect. And nature. refers to, at least I'm not buggering people, right. Ken says, oh, when, yeah. when talking about murdering the old lady. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, I guess right. maybe the protection is built in again where if you have the worst people doing these things, right. we can understand that the film doesn't hold those beliefs, right? Like right. the idea that... The movie knows these guys are the biggest. It's one more thing on the but, list why they're the worst. But yeah. you were saying the stammering society was, was Yeah. Well, I think that was more about arms. the depiction of the character, not just the fact that people right. called him out on it. Um, and it's, again, you see, I can understand how in 1986 <sighs> or whenever they were writing it, Cleese and, and Crichton were drawn towards it because it was, like, it's a funny target, but it's still a target. You are kind of punching down. Well, when he talked about writing this... Uh, well, I, coming back to the apolitical point, mm-hmm. I love that. Like the over, the over to me, the over analysis of every single move that every individual makes now at every given moment, where you can't just you can't just write a thing because you think it's funny anymore. Like you got to do some serious like work ahead of time before you put this out into the public to make sure nobody's gonna, you know, unless, you know, unless you're, maybe that's the point. But this, that movie was released at a time where you could just release a movie like that and a family can watch it, coming back to the point about the family, you know, it's that it's family friendly. Yeah. Did you, oh, I'm sorry, you're about to Well, I just, I'd like to say that that's a point that Vlad and I disagree on. (laughs) With the over, you have to, you have to be, you know, so careful when you put you know, anything comedy out into the world. And it's something that came up in our marriage as I was going through some Second City training. And I think that there is, when you are creating fiction, (laughs) the universe is available to you. And you can, there are so many things that can be funny and that you can invent that don't hurt anybody. Yeah, I I, get that. Yeah. I think it's... I I think it's, I, I don't think that... This is like an overly sensitive time, or I—I I just want to say that I feel differently about that. Yeah, I, I find it fascinating because ultimately, mm-hmm. what we're dealing with now in in terms of social media and and uh, and more diversification of of even criticism as well as filmmaking is that there are people with other points of view who see things that I don't see, and if they see something, it doesn't mean it's not there, right? Like it doesn't. If I can't see it, it doesn't mean it doesn't exist, I think is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, that's a, that's, and that's a sentence. Yeah, and I find it fascinating that the, the one thing that alienated audiences in 1988, when they did, when they, or 87, when they did test screenings of it, did you know about this, the dogs? They did no. two versions of the dog deaths, 
one with blood yeah. and one without. Yeah, and, and they had to die. That them was back. their line. Yeah. That was yeah. the thing they couldn't get away with. Yeah. Audiences re- were fine with everything else. But they also wanted Wanda was still bad at the end. That's right. In the, the original, original. Oh, yeah. the yeah. original before they did the test screening. So they wanted her to be at the end of the film. Actually, they wanted a love story. Interested in John Cleese. Yeah, it needed it to be real, which is kind of hard to believe, but also kind of the way these movies have to end. Right? Well, this brings us to to <laughs> we're already to this ending. moment in the film that is so the acting is so good. The acting is so good. I hope we can we'll spend some time on that at, yeah, at, oh, at a certain point. But there's this moment in this film where Jamie Lee Curtis's character Wanda, so now we can just call her Wanda, says, "Are you rich?" She asked John Cleese. There's this, there's this possibility of a real, genuine romance developing between them, and you can see something's happening for her separate from this, the con. The yeah. con. There's some genuine connection that she's feeling towards this man. It's the first, first anything genuine towards another man, anyways, that we've seen from Wanda in this film. Yeah, she's a purely transactional human, right? Purely. Until that point. And then she says to him, she asks him this question in this moment of, of, I don't know. Archie, are you rich? But she, (laughs) but it's not, that was a little bit layered with like some other stuff, but it was really genuine. It was, uh, uh, oh, she wanted it. Well, she wants it to be true, right? And then he says, no, 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 I'm, I'm sorry. It's not my, that's my wife's money. That's Wendy's. And then Wendy's the rich one. And her, her, oh. Is like, oh, like a, a just not even a word. I don't think it was even a word. But like, man, the what she packed into that. Oh, yeah. and this come came back to a point that you made about oh the love story that they needed her, you know, yeah. uh, realistically or not to uh, walk through the or, or have an awakening of yeah. some kind by the end of the film for them. And that was the American audiences, right? Like, they yeah. really need that. Yeah. I think they were the ones who couldn't handle the dogs. Either, yeah. If I remember. Yeah. Correctly. they Yeah. The, the, ca- the <laughs> California audiences were test screening in, which came back. I think they got... did California and New York. Oh, they yes. Would, they did that, Los yeah. Angeles Yeah. They would have done York. both yeah. cities. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, Cleese told this story about the, the horror of the dogs where they had – they just did a version, a take of the dog that got squished and there was – I think he described it as jam. It was just yeah. – <laughs> it, was, it was smeared. It was, yeah. it was it was comical, but it was still very violent. Yeah. And they said that the laughs just died. He just, you know, they were laughing and laughing and laughing, and then you cut to the reaction shot, and people just went, <gasps> and it just killed the rest of the film. So well, they had to replace it. If I may, I, I just want to get a little bit of our movie in there, Luba. Yeah. We we had a scene written into into the film. This With is a squish about, dog. Go on. Yeah. It's similar. Actually, it's very similar. Um, this is about things that work on the page that can either be inc- incredibly uh, powerful, evocative in your in your reading off the page and what your mind is able to do with it mm-hmm. versus seeing something on the screen. And 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 a writer, especially if he's a writer-director, really has to be able to accept feedback, which to John Cleese's credit, he was, and, and Crichton, Charles Crichton. Mm-hmm. It is kind of rumored that Cleese did most of the directing as well. They just were willing to... Yeah, Charles, uh, he says... I don't think it's even a rumor, I think. Is it on the record? Yeah, I think John Cleese... Well, we saw an interview where he just blatantly said that, that he chose Crichton because he knew he was a technical director and that he would be free to work with the words and the actors. Oh. Yeah, so in So he said that in an interview that I saw, so... Oh, good for him. Must be pretty on the record. Just sort of come right out. Because, yeah, I mean, it doesn't... I mean, Charles Crichton is a a veteran of the old Ealing Studios, the the machine-tooled screwball comedy stuff that Britain produced in the 50s, but... I mean, in the two clips of him that I saw at the time, he did not look well right. at all. And At the time of filming or? Yeah, or, the production stuff that I've seen. He's just right, very, yeah. well, he, he's very still. He suffered some kind of, I think it was MS or Parkinson's, something like that. Oh. Or I might be speaking out of turn here, um, where he was uh, having great difficulty for a couple of years. And then he went and did, according to John Cleese, acupuncture. And then he came back to John and said, all right, let's do it. And they went and shot okay. the movie. And uh, then I think soon after that, he also he started degenerating again. Yeah. But we had in our in our film, Luba, we had this scene where the father gets the kid to do something um, violent that on the pap- 
on the page. Oh, it seemed, yes. it, yeah, it's funny. It seemed like it, it you needed that. I th- at the time, I think when we filmed it, we thought we really needed that scene. And the director he fell in love with the scene. He he said it was one of the reasons why he decided he wanted to do the film was because of that scene. And when we um, we did the assembly, and when we were reviewing the assembly, somewhere along the way, we started getting feedback from test audiences, and that was one of the things that came back to us is that we had to lose that scene. And that was imme- as soon as somebody said said that to me, and I think to Nicole. We both immediately knew it had to go because it was just too far. It was just okay. too far. Can you say what it was? The the there was a mouse in the house, so they're reading a story. There's a mouse in the house, and the father who's spiraling downwards gets the son to kill the mouse. And the son's five or six, oh, six in the film. Yeah, no. Six in the film. So he covers it with a book and then he makes he puts the kid's hand on the book and then the father puts his hand on the kid's hand and squishes it. And, like, there's a sound and everything. It's and the, a dog. It's the dog under yeah, the... Yeah, it's the jam. I mean, the father's trying to teach the kid a life lesson. On the page, this is what... Sure, he, I can he, see. He, in his own warped mind, again, he's degenerating through... He's facing some serious challenges of his own that are mm-hmm. uh, making it hard for him to be of sound mind. But anyways, he was trying to teach the kid a lesson. Test audiences. Yeah, yes. test audiences tell you... Well, then you get too, rid of it. Nicole, because you're clearly making a face that tells yeah. you you didn't like it. <laughs> <laughs> and it's an audio medium, but I'll share that with the yeah. listeners. You're yeah. cringing. Yeah. My nose is curled. Was it just, was it too intense? I mean, what was the objection? It was just too well, much? Well, it, it turned him into a psychopath. Right. It didn't turn him into a regular guy. He wasn't a guy. Right. He wasn't, he wasn't a, the father of a child who just was... Tipped over too soon. He, he, well, not even too soon. It, was just, it just took him too far. And, it, and on the page, I, like, we all liked it. We all read it. As I said, the director loved the scene, and he really didn't want to lose it. Um, but you, you know, something, you see something on the screen, especially if you're doing these testings with audiences. And as John Cleese said, they tell you what you need in your film or what you do, what you can't have in your film. Yeah. I mean, it's on, on you to listen or, or not. What did they call the scene where he was trying to get the name of the hotel? Uh, the Cathcart Towers scene, uh, uh, the, the French fries in the nose. Yes, chips in the nose. Chips scene, in the nose. Let's call it. Torturing fish. Anyone who is a fan of of Monty Python or just sketch comedy in general has to go find the deleted scenes from him from John Cleese's ex- character. The extended. Tried, yeah, the extended. What John Cleese was able to to edit out was a an even longer oh, yeah, yeah. yeah scene of him trying to get. Um, Ken, thank you. I was trying to get Ken to to say the name of that hotel, and oh, I Cathcart Towers Hotel. I, I saw it for the first. <laughs> I the, yeah, just last weekend I saw it for the for the first time. That like I didn't the know that it version. was yeah the longer version, and I was crying. I was crying. I was laughing so hard. So it's another case of like. The scene itself was fabulous. Like we watched Beautiful. it, and, and we were laughing our asses off, but. For whatever reason, John Cleese, he didn't really elaborate too much. I think he just said the timing of it, the placement of the scene at that point in the film, also, it just didn't work. It's a com- It's almost two hours long. Yeah. Or is it over yeah. two hours? No, it was just an hour and 48. I yeah, believe. and it flies. And it's a comedy. It's like, yeah. you don't get big, broad comedies that are two hours long. Well, I, I don't think it flies. We no? we both noticed that there, how many it really takes it? its time, actually. Um which is so unusual, especially now, especially now. You mean setting up the premise and getting everything introduced? I, I Not so like much it. that, but, like, they had scenes where there was no comedy in it. There sure, was scenes yeah. where clearly, I, we were wondering, there was, like, where uh, Kevin Klein and where, uh, Wanda comes to visit George. She's information gathering, or she hopes, right. and Otto follows along. And there doesn't, uh, uh, on its face anyways, there doesn't appear to be any comedy in it. We were discussing afterwards, was this supposed to be a comic scene or not? And it's a long scene. It, it plays for quite some time. I think the I tension know. of it isn't just wondering wondering what's going to happen and how it's going to, like, what it, is, what it is everyone wants. Maybe, but regardless, it's you don't, you don't especially in nowadays, like, straight out comedies, you don't see scenes like that anymore that are just purely... Plots. Expositional, yeah. Well, not not, not even expositional. Plot. You're right. Yeah, yeah just plot. Points. It's plot based. It wasn't. It was about developing the story. It wasn't about 
hitting home runs of of laughs. Yeah, and you just don't see that. And there was that's not the only scene. There's many many scenes like that where they they played out that opening. You know this that terrible music <laughs> <laughs> over the over, over the, the credits, like and the fish. Like you can tell the footage is being like played forward and backward. Like yeah, why loop? fish like they're already like, they run looped. out of like, like, <laughs> the nature of an aquarium is that it is just a big loop to, <laughs> like to make the fish go forward and backward seems like you could you thought really like pathetic. the camera they could have got somebody to go and shoot another extra couple of minutes <laughs> if they needed it i wonder like, maybe the opticals were expensive to put the credits on you just use the same piece of footage i have no idea but it never even occurred to me you're right it is really obviously the same footage <laughs> yeah but but huh. they have the fish swimming forward and then rewinding and swimming forward again. Like you yeah. see the you fish. You see that, that one fish with the long. It's like an eel looking yeah, one. Yeah, where it reverses <laughs> the wrong way. Yeah. I wonder if it's just maybe an attempt to be slightly unrealistic from the beginning and create an, like a subconscious. See, now I have to figure this out. Well, yeah. I mean, I can't imagine. I know. You know, the movies talked about as being low budget. Yeah, but, but it's a it was, studio production. It was a, yeah, it's, yeah. It, and so you have to think that everything's a choice, right? You you can't think they got backed into that title sequence. Yeah. Like, and, no, the, like it has to be a choice, yeah. but Maybe, why? yeah, there might have been some intention to it, but mm. I'd love, somebody needs to, and I, I need to know the answer to this question. <laughs> this is the, this has been a mystery to me for years that I hadn't really like, out loud articulated before, really, until this interview. I okay. think I've thought about it quite... Yeah, maybe someone will reach out to you with the answer. <laughs> but how Kevin Klein got involved is is perplexing to me. And I did some research on it. We did some research on it, trying to, trying to find out more about how John Cleese, who really kept to England and very rarely went out of England to, to be involved or make projects, um, how... Where that interaction between Kevin Klein came from and brought him in. I can tell you. Well, you might tell me Silverado, maybe. It has to be Silverado. It has to, but even still, I can tell you as they they met for like a week. <laughs> they were there for like a week together. Right. And then he's, he hangs, like that whole film almost seemed to hang off that character. You remove Otto from that film. And while everybody's <laughs> wonderful, everybody's wonderful. You take Otto out of out of the picture. Kevin Klein's yeah, you Otto find, you out find of the someone picture. who gives a more grounded performance, or maybe not as or too big. Yeah, it's a really fine line to walk. What Klein is doing. It's so like the brilliance. Like the, I can't even. I can't understand it. My mind as a creator, yeah. I don't understand it. I need to know more about that. I I've been perplexed for years about how Kevin Klein ended up getting that role and how he was able to do such a. Now it's cartoonish in a lot of ways. But it's also incredibly nuanced and incredibly subtle. Like, again, he doesn't do these overtly comic things for 40, 50% of the the scenes. Yeah, but but it's fun to watch him try to hold himself straight, right? Like, it's trying to... Trying to not be dumb and not be big. That's like the character's doing it, not Klein. It's delightful. Just watching him stand still and <laughs> pretend to be normal. But you don't see is that. really funny. You don't see that. And Kevin Klein even said it himself. He said, I don't know who this guy is. And that's the other thing is, is like, I don't know who he is. Like, Otto's so undefined. You know, uh, pardon, that was my tummy. It wouldn't have registered. Go ahead. <laughs> all, uh, all, you know, all the other characters are archetypes. Everybody else is an archetype in that film. Kevin Klein's character sort of, you know, okay, American buffoon maybe, but like, how does he dress? Yeah. He wears, what are those things called? Oh, the cravat. That has nothing yeah, to do with, it, with a, like a <laughs> iconic American hot dog eating, baseball loving buffoon. Yeah. Like, there's, that's the furthest thing from that. I think it's his one concession to being in the, U, in the EU you know, like, or in <laughs> Europe or in where he thinks he is. Yeah. He's being fancy. Yeah, <laughs> but it, but it's so. I beg to differ. But the character is so. You're right, though. The character is so weird and, and amorphous that it could be anything. You can you can justify any decision because yeah, he'd do that. Why wouldn't he? He'll do. He would literally do anything. He will stick French fries up someone's nose. <laughs> <laughs> but but you feel like okay. I. No, you're right. You feel though. like you know this guy, even even while he's unknowable. Mm. Like you feel like this, you know, somewhere in your in the in your brain you've met a guy like him. An unknowable person who's 
just boggles your mind every time you hang out with him. Just you can't believe this dude. And Otto's that guy. Yeah. Well, and I think but that's it's, Klein. Like he's so likable that he can play this absolute monster. Mm. And you're still just kind of wondering what he's going to do next. Who had never been seen doing that before. That Again, this well, speaks to the giant question mark that's still there for me. He never had never done anything like that, certainly on film. But Pirates of Penzance, right? Like he'd done outside. On stage. So, no, there's a film. He's a, Or maybe it's a video. But there is a recording of it. I've, I've seen it. Of the 1983 production. And he's great. And you can look at that and sort of connect the dots. And I'm pretty sure mm. Cleese would have done his research. But... Also, the thing about Silverado is it was a massive, massive production. It was supposed to be, you know, Columbia Pictures' huge, big Western. It was the summer blockbuster that year. It would have been so big that they would have had a lot of time to just sit, I Mm. think, those actors, just sitting at a craft services table, having Mm. tea or coffee, probably tea for Cleese, and talking. And that's what makes me think that it was that. Because you could not, you're right, you could not cast Kevin Kline if you didn't have absolute faith in him being able to pull that off. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I think without, Kevin Klein just kind of goofing around at craft services, you could see it. And mm. to, to, to give him the space to come up with that kind of complex of a, of a comic character, again, this is a comic film, Yeah, the, the amount of trust that is required, to me, that's a, that's a longer relationship. I would not be surprised if Cleese wrote it for him. Honestly, I mean, I, I think he would have to trust him and know him. Well, and, they started writing in '81, or at least brain, brainstorming. Yeah, kicking in around the idea. And then he, they, I guess um, we read '83 online, but in the video it says '81. So I mean, that precedes the together, relationship right? starting. Mm-hmm. So, and I kind of wonder too, having Jamie Lee Curtis there uh, after something like Trading Places, where she's not too far from Wanda in mm-hmm. that role. She's, she's. Not cold exactly, but she's calculating and she's very, very smart and willing to use herself and her uh, and other people's impressions of her in order to get what she wants. Mm-hmm. And there seems to be a good connection there where she's capable of handling farce plots and being the person with her hand on the wheel and, and steering things. But in this case, you have the just that great complication of her actually being attracted to the mark, which mm-hmm. is such a classic, you know, caper thing. Yeah. Jamie Lee Curtis, somehow, you believe it's never happened to anyone before and that she's experiencing this for the first time. There's no hint of cliche. Mm. There's no hint of, of sort of a film noir reference. Mm-hmm. She's just playing it naturalistically to the point where she's almost annoyed with herself, which mm-hmm. is the, my favorite thing about that performance, that she can't believe this is happening to her because everything was going so well. Yeah. And the whole third act is just this crankiness that creeps in. And Otto is frustrated. I mean, it, all the characters are frustrated. That's the engine that drives the thing. Um, you know the, the the classic comic thing. Everybody wants a thing. No one can get the thing. She, well, it was she was she talked about how she kept trying to bring more realism. Of the, mm-hmm. One of the she talked about all the pushback that she was giving John Cleese um, in regards to how Wanda was depicted on the page. Right, and so she contributed, and oh, she I'm says sure. like a great amount of I think bringing Wanda back from the abyss of of buffoonery into a more realistic place where you were able to say the kinds of things about her that you just said. Yeah, I mean, she's easily the smartest person in the film. And oh, yeah. she still can't get anything she's done. Bug- well, I think she actually <laughs> is Bugs Bunny now. I, yeah. I really think she might be. I mean... It's a really good analogy. The performances of everybody in that film are so good. They're so good. It's such a master work of acting. and 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 she's right at the heart of it. Yeah, and I'm sorry, Nicole, you were about to say something. No, I wasn't. We rolled I, I know, but you haven't, I feel like you haven't talked in a little bit. I'll speak when I want to. But this is, we're talking about the woman now. Jamie Lee, you gotta. Oh, you so gotta, the woman has to talk yeah, about the woman. I don't woman. know. It looked like you were don't inspired. You, don't you, you gotta, she's your girl, or she's a girl, anyways. But she's so good. She's so good. She's so smart and sexy. And this is, we talked about this, is the marriage of female sexuality and comedy, for whatever reason, that seems to be an oil and water thing for audiences anyways. Yes. A lot of the time. How so? If not all the time. I, f- I think that there's, they, audiences don't want sexy women to be funny. Hmm. Or they, they don't want, and is it as an as an actor, too much of anything, like one or the other? Well, as, when I, I okay, so I get breakdowns. I'm, 
I'm an actor, and 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 the audition, you get a kind of little blurb about what it is you're auditioning for, and right. whenever, um, because Second City's on my resume, I wasn't on the Second City main stage. I'm not saying that. <laughs> Second City gets very uptight about that. I, I heard, I heard <laughs> yeah. this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but um, because I have Second City training on my on my resume, I get a lot of comic stuff. But then because of my headshot, I'm kind of like um, you know a very you know, symmetrical face person. So I get kind of uh, more leading lady stuff as well. Pretty. She means pretty. And when, on uh, any comic breakdown I get, when they describe the character physically, it's always, they use different words. Really? They don't use attractive words. They use uh, quirky. They use um, un, what, uh, what's a popular Appealing? one? Appealing? No, like uh, un, un, Unconventionally, unconventionally. Yeah. What's the um, one I saw recently? Pretty, but doesn't know it is something I've seen a couple of times. But that would be more the lead oh, in I a rom com okay. because she doesn't have to be funny. The jokes are about her life, so like J Lo doesn't have to deliver a punchline necessarily because right. she's sexy. But her best friend is gonna ha ha ha, you know, and like everything's funny around her. Yes, <laughs> but I feel like they don't. I feel like in a lot of like. Big studio productions like Fish Called Wanda, the sexy and the funny isn't the same. Isn't the same girl, hmm. unless the, unless the joke is, "Look how big my boobs are." I, I'm surprised. And with Jamie Lee you Curtis, are... that's not the case. Yeah, no, she like, defies that in everything she does. But her comedy comes out of sensibility, so maybe that's how they get away with it. Like that's the rationalization. But there's that weird <laughs> scene where. Otto comes into the room and she's standing there with her robe open and you can see her like amazingly fit, curvaceous body and little tiny panties and her bra. Mm -hmm. And she stands there and it's and it's so obvious that the actor was just waiting <laughs> to be told action <laughs> with her robe open. And then she like quickly and then or doesn't so quickly close it and and the scene just continues and he throws her on the bed by her face and like and it's immediately funny after seeing this gorgeous image that I think if it, I don't know, if it, it either would, were an American movie or if it was a movie made today. It would have got stuck there. She would have to be one or the other. Okay. She'd have to be that hot bod in a silk gown or you know. You you gotta know that like you go see comedy, like stand-up comics or a comic film, you gotta know that there is a stereotype that I, women can't be funny, but particularly Sexy women cannot be funny. And again, when I said this is an audience's oil and water thing, right. I don't think it's that they don't want it. You're saying you, they don't want it. It's the expectation of the audience and the demands. Is of the that they can't do it? Well, that a sexy I, woman cannot be funny. When I was going, um, I, I did my master's at USC, and so I'm in LA. I'm leaving um, my third year of school, about to enter the industry, and um, our. Our, per, our faculty was nice enough to l link us up with mentors, so working actors in in the in the industry. Okay. And um, I don't know the actor's name, but she's the best friend in a lot of these rom coms. Judy Greer. Yes. Ha. Huh. So she's linked up with a classmate of she's mine. She's wonderful. Please she's, don't tell me anything terrible about Judy. No, Greer. no. Okay. Good. I'm, not, I'm not going to. No, she is wonderful. Um, but she, she she's the best. But she gets that the role that I'm talking about, where you're you're the funny friend. Yeah, that, she that's her typecast, that right? 17, 18 times. Yeah. Exactly. So she gets hooked up with a classmate of mine who is very funny and very intelligent, but she's also tall, tall, thin, blonde, and big chested. Okay. And the advice Judy Greer had for her was dye your hair red, because. Oof. I think she thought my yeah. I think she thinks my classmate would have been too conventionally attractive to ever have a career in clowning. I just I mean I grew up on screwball comedies in the 30s and 40s. I'm not that old, but that's what was on TV when I was a kid. You know, His Girl Friday, Philadelphia Story, uh, uh I mean even Double Indemnity is funny. Like these are all films with stunning women being funny and clever and in control and yeah, what's wrong with people now? Like when did that happen? Yeah. I'd have to. I mean, probably. can you name a film in the modern era where the comic, a comic film where the comic lead was a sexy woman? Well, maybe what's happening is this. You know, every aspect of our world now, things are getting um, really, really specific. And yeah. and what's the word? 
It's been, the, tra- been this. This has been this way for a while, though. No, but I'm idea. talking about the world in general. Everything's getting compartmentalized and, and further and further and more and more specialized. Mm-hmm. And, and so maybe it's like that. Maybe it's just that there are now, you know, just just it's just math. It's just numbers. Now we have, you know, it's just different. We are, we're not using the same twelve stars in every film. It's like there's so so much talent available. They can have you know, 20 go-to sexy girls and then the 35 go-to funny girls. Yeah. And, the, you know, maybe it's just that. Or Ali Wong and Randall Park go off and make Always Be My Maybe themselves because oh no one God. else will do it for them, right? Yeah, so well, good. Re- regardless of all that, Jamie Lee Curtis did something extraordinarily unique, which is being incredibly sexy where it's not a distraction. Yep. In a, well, it's a function of her character. Yeah. It's a function of her character in a comic role where her sexiness either... Um, was a non-issue, or in in fact enhanced the comedy. And and I think what and if so, someone might happens. give an example of where sexiness was funny, but I don't think the actor, whatever example you come up with, I don't think the actor is just like just inherently sexy. Like Jamie Lee Curtis, like her body and her and her attitude, like that's sexy no matter what she does. Right. And yeah, I, I'm so trying to think if of you're trying to tell me, I'm, oh, but no, there's this character where she was at, yeah, but I bet you that actor is probably pretty plain looking and she's putting on the moves as an acting choice. I'm thinking of Cameron Diaz right around like something about Mary and Charlie's Angels, but okay. that's not she's not the only one and that film okay. is all of them, really. That's the point of Charlie's Angels. But again, I'm just now I'm thinking if I'm just trying to sexualize people in my head to see right, which right, ones right. come out. Well, no, Cameron Diaz is is a bombshell. But, but yeah. she was introduced in The Mask as a comic, like yep. she, the comic mm-hmm. villain who turns out to be the good girl, right? That was the big twist at the time. Mm-hmm. She's a, and and um, mm-hmm. and Julia Roberts a little bit in some films around that time. Julia my Roberts best friend's isn't wedding. Sexy. So, okay, <laughs> they tried. No, she's nor, no. nor that funny. She's gorgeous. She, she's, she's gorgeous. A Sandra I'm talking, like, but I mean, I mean, like actual sex appeal. Like Jamie Lee Curtis was selling sex right, to right, her right, marks. Right, right. And we're not talking about a film where the comedy is kind of secondary, like a fish called Wanda. It's is jokes. Is is jokes? Like yeah. that is what the film is. It's a it's a Jim Carrey film. It's a yeah. You know, uh, Eddie Murphy film. Yeah, it's a know? full on. Comedy. It's a full on comedy where the where it's sunk or fail on the comic performance of the of the lead lead actors mm-hmm. yep, actresses. Yep. I'm not. I don't think that was I don't know required. Why we're hitting this point so much? Well, <laughs> I, it's still. It's just, it's just, yeah, yeah. It's still. I mean, I guess it's a, the man women thing is always interesting. With mm-hmm. the, like that's and that's very topical. And also, she was just so awesome. I do think that it's like she's Jamie Lee Curtis is always now that I'm thinking about it because she's got Trading Places five years behind her, and six years ahead. There's True Lies, where mm-hmm. like that is a comic performance that goes from intentionally dowdy to ridiculously unconfidently sexy to proper sexy. I, I, I'm going to... Uh, here's my theory. Oh, I kind of... <laughs> I am... I'm very sorry. I apologize already to admit Jamie Lee Curtis because I'm male-gazing all over her and that seems mean. But it's also... It works because she's in on it. It works because she is deliberately playing that part of herself. I mean, it happened in Perfect. It happened... Like, that's how she worked from that little window of time. Like, Perfect's a terrible film, but she is absolutely... But those immune to dance, it. She, those dance sequences are still, those are timeless. She's great. <laughs> like, she's great in this absolutely refusing to buy into the camp and the cheese of it. She's funny in that movie because she takes it so seriously. I think, I think Why are we it's talking about her, perfect? What have I done? Her head. I think it's her head. I think she's got a funny head. <laughs> <laughs> she's got a funny head. Okay. And I think that's why it works. Because amongst that package, that bombshell oh. body package, oh, no. she's got... This funny little head. Oh, no. And I think, well, I, I was hesitating. I decided, whatever, I'm going for it. So that's, How? but we should probably move I wanted Joe Pesci this. How is it funny to you? How is this head funny? What? She's got a little pinhead with this funny little haircut, <laughs> and her jaw kind of slopes weird, and it's boyish. You know, like there's, thought about this. she's, she, she is like, she defies a bunch of stuff. <laughs> the the marriage of the head to the body okay and is not is what i think bought her the career that she had um but mm. i think do think we could probably move on just the strange <laughs> disconnect yeah I mean, there's well okay they say every superstar has something really distinctive about them she is an outlier i mean she's definitely an outlier she was able to do things that i again i don't think yeah. not not just in a fish called wanda 
like you just cited a whole bunch of movies yeah. where she's done some very, very unique work for any actress in yeah. the history of the movie business, I'd well, say. Yeah, and to say nothing about what, mm-hmm. let's call it the Curtisance, where she's come back in the last few years is this mm-hmm. amazing force. I have seen her uh, on stage twice at two subsequent, or two successive TIFFs, uh, two years ago for Halloween and this year for Knives Out, and no human being has received as much love in the room as I've seen right. get her. Like she seems times. so lovable. She yeah. seems great, but people just respond. Like, she walks out on stage and people lose their minds. Yeah. That's how revered huh. she is after 40 years of being Jamie Lee Curtis. That's star power, right? Yeah. Like, it's some people it. are just Whatever born. Whatever that is. Yeah, they're born that way. Well, she's also had, like, some say. massive hits. Yeah. She's but, had but, massive but, hits. But she was given those hits because she was born that way. Like I think, yeah, somehow around after Halloween, it all just sort of lined up for her. I mean, she said she has been speaking about it recently mm-hmm. that— you know, if she wasn't Janet Lee's daughter, she probably wouldn't have been cast in Halloween because of the psycho connection. But everything after that is stuff that she is. But there was a big gap between Halloween and A Fish Called Wanda. Ten I, years, yeah. But she's yeah. around. Trading but, Places is 83. She made a bunch yeah. of terrible horror movies. Prom Night was in there. Like, she scream-queened her way through the next couple of years after Halloween. Wasn't happy about yeah. it. But mm. that's what she was offered. It's weird that this film brings all of those people together because it's such a strange and perfect mixture. I mean, you have the, the beauty of the Michael Palin and Junkley's Python reunion. Mm-hmm. They just made, you know, Meeting of Life was like the year before or two years before. But it's just so lovely to see them working together. And then you have these, these outsized American personalities. Mm-hmm. And then you also have the setting of this quaint, you know, Lavender Hill Mob kind of universe where everybody's very proper except for George who is mean but also in prison where he has no power. And then you get this, the payoff of all of those pieces coming together in absolute chaos. So, yeah, I'm buying into the Looney Tunes metaphor again. I'm curious if you thought that the George character was funny. Did you find him? His anger is funny. Okay. He's. Like, Did you he's, find any of his scenes? Like, was he a funny? I think the one scene in prison with his lawyer where he's absolutely furious is pretty funny. Hmm. Um, just because you're dealing with, again, the, the comedy is built on frustration once you like, I think maybe third or fourth viewing, it started to get really funny. Once I realized that absolutely no one in this film is getting a thing that they want for the entirety of the movie <laughs> until the very end when two people, the two most deserving mm-hmm. people, get to be happy. Uh, yeah, that, that, that's probably my take on it. <laughs> it's, and to continue with the Looney Tunes analogy, they're also plucky despite, <laughs> like, they never really get they keep getting back up. Yeah, yeah. And, and they're, like, got the same amount of enthusiasm <laughs> each time. Like, it's really funny. Otto, even at the very end, at the window, covered in cement, <laughs> still, he's still ready to go. He's still trying. <laughs> um, oh, there was something, I, there was something you just said that I wanted to we touch on. We quote Otto around our home all the time. <laughs> Whenever... One of us is disappointed about something, but it's not that serious. Yeah, and, and we yell. And how these four characters? It's this is this. Maybe you want to say something about this. They're these people are, are anti-social, maybe sociopathic, bordering on on psychotic personalities. All four of them, and you love them so much. Yeah. How? Why? Like, what? How can we? What? What is that? That you can sit there as an audience member and fall in love with these people that are that do nothing but try to cheat, steal, take advantage, because they lie. fail. Because they fail. Part of it is that, yeah. I think it's because they know who they are. But we like them they're before char- we see them failing. Like we like them all. They're, I think almost all. They're charismatic right monsters, right? Like oh, it's man. fun to watch them, and somehow on some level, it's just outsized enough that we know this can't possibly be real. So we can all be in on the joke. I think that's what it is. I think you're invited mm. in right away to just how outsized and preposterous it all is. Nobody's normal, (laughs) right? Like, even Wanda is a little crazy. So that wig she wears when she (laughs) goes. They're the worst. That's what I mean. Like, for somebody who's trying to, like, be incognito, she, like, makes it... (laughs) She actually draws your eyes. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, what the, what the hell is that hair? Yeah. No. <laughs> she goes into the courtroom wearing the biggest wig and the biggest sunglasses. And it's like a judge's robe that she's wearing. Yeah. Like, it's this weird pink smock <laughs> with this weird bow tie thing at the top. Yeah. Like, none yeah. of it makes sense. Yeah. How can if you you're trying be to be incognito? But how can you not root for her in that situation? Yeah, of course. I mean, it's like Otto, too. He can't walk into a room and be normal, but we keep hoping he can pull it off. 
because then everybody gets to go outside without anything breaking or smashing. You just it's the tension and knowing that it's not going to work. What I realized when the, during the I'm sorry scene where he was practicing, yeah. he knows what people are supposed to <laughs> behave like yeah. and he keeps trying. It's his impression of a Yeah, person. he's doing an impression of human beings. Yeah. He's not actually one. Well, that's the line, right? Like you're an insult to stupid people. It's uh, yeah. to call you stupid would be an insult to stupid people. And that that's what I mean about um uh, about Wanda being like funny as well because Jamie Lee Curtis is showing you that this is a smart woman who has been sitting on these insults for so long. It's yeah. not just coming off the top of her head. She's yeah. been banking them, which yeah. is the joke to me, the idea that she chooses to keep going yeah. after she wounds him and she just keeps pushing because this is finally the chance she has. She says, I looked it up. Yeah. yeah That's she right. Does. The London <laughs> Underground is not a political movement. These are all true. I looked them up. And that was 1988. You actually had to go to the library. <laughs> While you were saying... She- she and George had been at it for two years, right? They were in the courtroom. Yeah. Like, that's a long con. Yeah. If that's how long they've been dating and the whole time it was part. In her in her witness testimony, she says that she's been his lover when the, the John Cleese asked. Oh, oh, the sentencing thing. She yeah. said, yeah, we've been together for two years. And I was, I was like, two years? Like. Well, maybe she just made that up. I know she made to, up a lot of things like in her thing, probably, but like. Like, yeah. Anyways. She probably thought that, that that made the relationship seem more, I don't know, something for the courtroom. Yeah. Make her seem Valid. more vulnerable and more used yeah. to, to make him seem worse. That's possible. On the other hand, I can believe her sticking with someone for a couple of years because it was working. Like, whatever yeah. it was was paying off. I mean, she's, well, again, she's like transactional, right? Like, meantime. that's who she is. Yeah. Yeah, and there he had a nice apartment, and, and I'm sure she was living run-free and all that. Yeah. yeah. Or it's just the, an awful caricature of a kept woman. <laughs> And I, I would be remiss not to mention the secret secret weapon that uh, played Wendy Leach, Archie Leach's wife. Um, her name is Maria Aitken. Mm-hmm. She's one of those performances that, like, after you've watched it 10, 20 times, then you start to, like, notice the incredible set design. And she's, like, awesome. She is awesome, but she's just there. Yeah. She's not... She's not She's just filling in these gaps that they're leaving, these four performers, that you you would think there would be no space for her. But she actually steals the scene in the most, maybe the best comic scene of all time. Yeah. Oh, the horrified look with the picture. Yeah, where, yeah. where she comes home from the opera to, to find her husband, uh, or eventually doesn't, um, doesn't find her husband with Wanda, but instead meets Otto. Oh, that's <laughs> the... the XKGB, CIA, whatever, whatever he is. And she just, she's, she's holding that whole thing together. Yeah. Everybody, she's, she's right at the center of that maelstrom. And, oh man, yeah. she's so good. And I guess Kevin Klein famously was one of those guys that didn't get free until many, many takes in. So he oh, So ha- this is like the 18th or 17th time that Yeah, this. exactly. And him, his name, Mr. Man Frenjensenden. Was an improv, and oh. Maria repeated it back to him. And to know that she was able to—I—I've watched the movie at least a dozen times, and still am not confident in how to say <laughs> Mr. Frenjensen. <laughs> but from but for Maria to get it perfectly in an improv to scenario throw and throw it right back at him, like oh, man. everyone in this film, Oof. the Oof. acting is yeah, no small parts, and and also. I don't, you would know the answer to this. How many comedies get nominated for Academy Awards? For screenplay, for director, very rarely. Yeah. It almost and never best, happens. And, and winning Kev- best actor. Yeah. Oh, supporting actor. Kevin well, Klein won yeah. best supporting actor. Supporting actor, supporting actress, those favor comedy. It's, it's yeah? weird. Okay. Like, you know, My Cousin Vinny for Marissa Tomei. Okay. Uh, Mighty Aphrodite for, for Mir- okay. Marissa Tomei. It happens. Okay. Uh, it's a safe one. But I think it was but nominated three? for screenplay and director, which are yeah. way bigger. Three nominations for a con- I don't know. I for me, like I, again, I'm not. I'm- well, thirty years later, that film still holds up. Like that speaks to the quality of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's you know, I I honestly it was the same year as Rain Man, right? So yeah, a very conventional movie won Best Picture and Director and Screenplay that year, but uh, Wanda easily holds its own. Doesn't have Ico Ico in it. Other than that, it's pretty good. If they had the Ico song Ico that in opened, it, it, well, it opened Rain Man, so I just assume it was like a Lucky Charm, the song Ico Ico. No, they had they had at the beginning of the Rain Man, uh, whatever that song is, which surprisingly didn't become a huge hit. I'm I don't know. No, it was a cover. It's a song from the '60s. It's called Ico Ico. No, no, I'm talking about Rain Man now. That no, uh, I that's too. what he is. 
saying. That's that's an actual. It's, yeah, it's, it's for real. Song. Yeah. Oh, I thought you meant like. There's also a pop song called Ico Ico. That's there? the one. Yeah. It's it's a. It opens Rain Man. It doesn't open Fish Called Wanda. I'm so confused. Vlad's mind is blown. <laughs> you got to keep things simple for me, Norm. Like you really do. We've just been talking about one of the most complicated comedies ever written. You were doing fine. Yeah, but I was really like my fingernails are digging into the table here. <laughs> trying my, to hang on. I was. T- I asked my sister if she had seen the film, mm. and and she goes, uh, "No, I haven't. What's it about?" And I was like. Well, there's this fish. Uh, uh, and I found it. It's like if I'm not going to chew her ear off for 20 minutes, how do I like, oh, it's a it's a com- it's a heist comedy. And, like, how do I tell someone I can't possibly give someone the plot or the, you know, in a nice, cute little log line like it's I just love the movie. So and much. haven't you for 30 years, you've kind of been going a fish called Wanda. <laughs> why is it called a fish? Yeah. Like, why call it that? Yeah. Like Wanda's. Yeah, I don't get it. <laughs> like I was doing that for thirty years. It just pulls. It's the kind of things like, well, what does that mean? I have to go see the movie. Right? Like it's just the hook. Oh, fish hook! I get it. <laughs> that was comic uh, silence there for <laughs> Norm. Drop the, drop the mic. Anyways, thanks, Dad. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Who's Dad? Norm? No, my dad for making me watch the movie. Oh, when yeah. I was in my twenties. And thanks, mom <laughs> and stepdad. It brings people together. Yeah. Yeah. We still watch it. Oh, yeah. And we our, still watch it and our every eight, Christmas. It's still our, our, eight, our it's, a, it's a yearly yearly ritual. Our now eight-year-old was in the room with us when we were watching it when she was only three, and we're like, oh, she won't know anything. You know, she's three, whatever. And she still likes to tell us. I remember watching A Fish Called Juana. And she it was, was four. In a, and it was inappropriate. <laughs> <laughs> And we're like, you don't remember. She goes, I do. I have images, she says. Well, because she's told people, and people said they let you, and she fell asleep to it 20 minutes in. Like, that was the reason why. But she likes to go around telling everyone that we're bad parents because we let her watch A Fish Called Wanda when she was four. I shouldn't have said that on air. No. No, Now the police are going to do, 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 do. No, 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 it's a joke. It's It's a a family movie, Looney Tunes. No, she was for the podcast. You know, she was being funny. None of this is actionable. I'm sure you'll be fine. <laughs> well, I hope not. My thanks to Vladimir John Kubert and Nicole Maroon, who you can see together in Luba when it opens theatrically in Toronto and Calgary this Friday, January 10th. And if you're not in either of those cities, it'll also be available for purchase on highballtv.com. Thanks also to Winnie Wong. She knows what she did. You can find Vlad on Twitter at Vladimir underscore Kubert, and Nicole is on at Nicole Maroon, all one word, though she's not terribly active on the site. And A Fish Called Wanda was released not too long ago in a lovely remastered Blu-ray edition from Arrow Video. It's also available on iTunes and Google Play, and streaming on Hoopla if you have a library card. As always, you can find me on Twitter at Norm Wilner and elsewhere on the internet at nowtoronto.com. You can also find this podcast on Twitter at Semcast, S-E-M-Cast, and on the web at someoneelsesmovie.com. Our shiny new theme song is by The Last Year. If you like it or you like the show, say so. Leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or wherever you've been enjoying us. Every little bit helps. It truly does. And check out the other shows on the Frequency Podcast Network. They're pretty good, and I understand there's some interesting stuff coming up in 2020. Thanks for your support, and thanks for listening. See you next week.